Hello, and welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. This is Ruth Haley Barton, and I'm here once again with my friend and colleague, Steve Weens, Senior Pastor of Genesis, and we are here walking through Lent together. Hey, Steve, good to be with you again. Ruth, it's always good to be with you. I've loved these episodes so far. Yeah, I feel like we're we're swimming in deeper and deeper ends of the pool, don't you? Like we're just we keep going out there a little bit at a time. <laughs> yeah. Our our topic for this Lenten season is Lent for leaders with God in the wilderness, and we are patterning our whole Lenten season around Jesus' time in the wilderness. And in fact, that Luke four passage where we read about Jesus' experience in the wilderness, where he was actually wrestling with the evil one and the evil one's temptations and he comes against that temptation each and every time successfully and does not sin that uh, we are doing the same thing as leaders trying to see this space this wilderness space as a time for our own wrestlings but also eventually through spiritual practices to experience being strengthened by God in the wilderness as well. Before we get into this week's conversation, I know that we're getting very close to Holy Week, and we want to mention once again that as a staff here in the Transforming Center, we are going to be praying the Stations of the Cross at noon on Good Friday at noon Central Standard Time. And if you'd like to join us, you can purchase the Stations of the Cross booklet, and you'll get a code for joining this virtual prayer experience on Good Friday. We're also going to make our Stations of the Cross prayer service available for a donation of any amount, and so you can find out more information about that in our show notes. Well, welcome to the fifth Sunday of Lent. We're reading into the fifth Sunday using Cycle C of the Revised Common Lectionary, reading from the New Revised Standard Version of Scripture. And Steve, let's start out today by having you read Isaiah 43, verses 16 through 21. This is our Old Testament reading for the fifth Sunday of Lent. My pleasure, Ruth. This is from Isaiah chapter 43, verses 16 through 21. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings out chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild animals will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, so that they might declare my praise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Steve, as you were reading, I had this feeling that we're turning a corner in Lent. What do you think? Are we turning a corner? Tell me we're turning a corner. This is the time in Lent where we're all hoping we're turning a corner. That's right. We've been, we're all hungry and tired. We've been muddling and... around in the wilderness. There has to be a way out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think this is... The, the, actually, you're right. I love that you said that because this is the time for me in Lent where it just seems old, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems old and you're ready for Easter. You're ready for resurrection. You're ready for new life and you're kind of sick of yourself. You're sick of your... <laughs> Uh, you know, your introspective self, maybe during this season, you're kind of sick of it. And so, but, or, and I love this passage. I've always loved this passage and it does speak to something new. So what do you see? Mm -hmm. What kind of shimmered for you as you were listening? 
Well, it's so interesting to think, do not remember the former things or consider, you know, the things of old. I'm somebody who can tend to really ruminate in kind of a dark, introspective sort of way about the hard things of the past, and I can keep myself very burdened. And so I think I need God to say sometimes in a really decisive way, stop it, Ruth. You know, don't remember the former things. You've done enough with those. Turn the corner with me, and let's see what might be new around the corner. So this is a really important word for my personality type, because I can be a little morose at times. So I'm, I'm grateful for this word. The other thing that's really cool, and, you know, I don't know how important this will be to anybody else, but we just started TC18. Mm. So our 18th Transforming Community, and it started this last weekend with almost 100 participants plus team members. Wow. And we are at uh, University of St. Mary the Lake, so it feels really wonderful to be back in a retreat center environment. And I was led to read this verse to our team that was gathered as we were uh, on our pre-retreat getting ready to serve in this community we actually read this in the morning of the first day of that retreat. And I almost got tearful at just the idea of new beginnings. Cause when you start with a new group of people, it does have the sense of freshness to it and this anticipation, what is God going to do? And so this verse feels pertinent to me, pertinent to me in several different ways. <laughs> of course, then there's one other layer as well today, as we're recording here in Chicago, this is our first day where we get to remove the mask mandate like the first day, like today. And I'm like, wow, that feels like a new beginning too. We can now actually go into um, indoor spaces without masks. I know other parts of the country haven't been as conservative on this issue as Illinois has been, but that feels like a new beginning as well. And I hope it's a new beginning coming out of the pandemic, you know, with the vaccine and with hospitalizations and deaths much, much lower and the masks mandate being lifted there's also a sense of hope around the pandemic as well. It, it almost feels like too much to hope for, but I'm choosing to be hopeful today. So yeah, this verse resonates in all sorts of different ways today. So I'm grateful. I'm grateful for it. Oh, me too. Me too. Part of what shimmered for me is this call back to the, to the Red Sea, the crossing of the Red Sea, the really the escape from bondage, from, from slavery. And you know, I never love the picture of the chariots and the horses and mm-hmm. the soldiers dying. I mean, that's always some, that's kind of a weird thing for me. So I tend to look at that metaphorically rather than mm-hmm. literally. So my metaphor is for a new beginning to happen, something generally needs to die. I mean, that's the Paschal mystery, right? The, um, and so one of the things that's instructive, I think, when you think about new beginnings is in order for us to enter into a true new beginning, something probably needs to end. Mm -hmm. So as a leader, I think that's an instructive thing. Sometimes we think we have to prop up old things all the time. We have to keep things going all the time. We have to, you know, resuscitate things that look like they're dead. And sometimes we do, but sometimes we need to let them die. And so that's a conversation I think that would be fruitful to have uh, Mm -hmm. in this episode. Yeah, yeah. Maybe out with the old and in with the new, right? This passage <laughs> yeah. is giving us a picture of what it might look like to let go and then receive, uh, which yes. is a basic rhythm of the spiritual life, to let go and then receive what God has. This is also a formation verse, which is I always love seeing this in verse 21, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for mm. myself. So you got formation going on there. And what are we formed for? We are formed 
to declare God's praise. So hopefully, you know, part of the way out of Lent is that we're going to pick our eyes up and like you said, rather than being just so completely about our own introspections, we're also picking up our eyes and praising the God who is leading us into this new way. So Isaiah 43 has some really beautiful themes in it. But there are some things to happen before that, right? Um, Before the whole new way is opened up for us. I mean, Philippians 3 this week is very powerful. That's the, the scriptures about kenosis and Jesus letting go of his place of privilege with God to empty himself and to be, you know, to become our savior, to be humbled, as we've talked about in an earlier episode. So we've got that going on still, this humbling of ourselves. And then the gospel reading is pretty powerful for this week also. Yeah, the gospel reading is really a this this sort of tender picture of this person that comes in and brings this costly sacrifice, this perfume and 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 opens it up and anoints Jesus's feet and then gets criticized by some Theo bros maybe mm. in the room. <laughs> yes, the brothers in the room are not brothers, getting it, are they? They're not getting it at all, at all. Or maybe they they wish they were getting some of that, you know? Oh, ooh, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Maybe they would have a different oh, thing if it was their feet. I'm sorry. No, no, no. But I think it it it's this joyful, exuberant expression of adoration and gratitude mm-hmm. that doesn't even take into consideration. You know, it's almost like, yeah, this is costly and I know it and I know the costliness mm-hmm. of this, but I just can't not do this. I mean, that's yeah. sort of how I see that because the new life I've found because of the old having died and the new having come, I am going to do something extravagant and beautiful and and as a sign of my gratitude, that's how I see mm-hmm. that. And I even love it. Of course, you know, those, those, uh, those extravagant rituals are never accepted by, by, you know, the, the status quo. Cause it mm-hmm. seems, it seems ridiculous. Like who would do that? Yeah. Well, maybe someone that really got a taste of grace, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Well, there's so much love in this passage, and then there's this this powerful juxtaposition, and I want to find a way to talk about this without creating false polarities, but it's hard to say it without creating polarities, and that is that you have this extravagant expression of love on the part of Mary, but then you have the pragmatist, the treasurer, um, <laughs> which is kind of always a certain type. <laughs> the treasurer. It's the church financial officer. It is, we, it is, we can't it is. spend that money. I know. And like I, I I don't want to make a false dichotomy between the two types, but it's it's right here. Can you help me, Steve, with that? Like put the two together versus seeing them as being these polarities where we see our ourselves on one side or the other. <laughs> well, I I agree. Like our, we're just so naturally conditioned. Our brain is to pick the binary out, the good mm-hmm. the good versus the bad, the, the, the right versus the wrong. But mm-hmm. I think whenever I get into these, I, I try to say, okay, both of them are me. You know, both of these extreme, extremes are me. When do I, what makes me judge a joyful, extravagant gift when mm-hmm. I do that? Because I've done that. And then what makes me give? A joyful extravagant gift. And do I ever, like that's another question, like depending on our personalities, have I ever given this extravagantly of my love to anyone, you know, like like Mary is doing 
and, and even to God himself. Am I stingy with myself or am I extravagant in, in pouring myself out, you know? And wow, yeah. that's kind of a sobering question. Well, the other thing that's just complicated, really, I mean, this is a very layered passage, was that not only was Judas Iscariot, the disciple, um, you know, being kind of pragmatic in a way that minimized the gift of what Mary was doing, but the scriptures are really clear in pointing out that he was a thief. And so he wanted to keep as much for the common purse as he could because he was stealing from the purse. I mean, wow. Like, can we have any more levels and layers in this passage? We got it all going on right here. Yeah. And I think that all belongs to, you know, it's like, there's no, even in the circle of Jesus' friends and followers, we have... All the we mixed motives. All the mixed motives and mm-hmm. all the deceit. And I I don't I to say I like that is not quite true. I don't I don't like that, but I I enjoy the humanity of that because that's how reality is, you know. Mm-hmm. Like we don't get to a, there is no ideal team where no where everyone's equally committed mm-hmm. and everyone's equally humble and everyone's equally honest. They're just our mixed motives and so and within us as well, you know. Yes. I wonder if that's part of the point of this passage is that we are all made up of mixed motives, like you said, that we all have all of this. Um, because it's it's very rare in the New Testament that Jesus or the, the writer of the scriptures actually speaks to mo- motives like this. I mean, this is really, really stark. Um, so Judas says, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? And then in parentheses, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. I mean, the scriptures are just unflinching and saying, this is kind of ugly here, friends. Um, this is what's really going on here. I mean, and there are a few places in scripture where the scriptures are really clear on the level of motive um, that we wouldn't be able to know about the motive unless the scriptural writer told us about the motive. So I don't know. I find that really interesting. You've got this incredible juxtaposition of Mary just completely extravagantly pouring herself out with the most expensive gift that she had. And then you've got someone else right there in the very same circle who is criticizing her for very self-serving reasons. Wow. And that's the community of Jesus right there. <laughs> yes. This yes. is what he had to deal with. <laughs> then and now. Then, then and, and now. now. That's right. Absolutely. Well, I think there's some beautiful questions there, and maybe we're being called to a couple of things, called to name and to own our mixed motives, because all of this, like you said so well, all of this is in us. You know, everything that's here is in us. The part of us that wants to love extravagantly, the part of us that wants to be stingy and pragmatic and keep something to ourselves, right? Yeah. It's all there. And then this call to extravagant loving in the season, you know, and we're, we're get you know, we're heading into Holy Week, we're getting closer and closer to Holy Week, and... Holy Week, by definition, is a time for extravagant worship, when the church really stops a lot of its normal activities in order to be extravagant in worship and giving ourselves to the story. And we can talk about that a little bit more as, as we get closer, but there's a, there's a week coming soon where we will have a choice to give ourselves extravagantly to Jesus in Holy Week or to just say, no, I'm just going to give you this hour, but that's it, you know? So... And it occurred, you know, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but it occurs to me the movement from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday is really can be seen as a movement from sort of the the stingy, pragmatic, I want the king to be the king that I want 
versus the king that shows up and dies and rises again. And I mean, that's the extravagant king that pours out himself all the way to the point of death. Um, talk about extravagant, costly gifts and grace. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, but that's getting ahead of ourselves. We're it not is. there yet. It we is. are in week five. Mm -hmm. Week five. Um, so, you know, I wonder as we look at, Ruth, this uh, inspiring and beautiful picture in Isaiah 43 and also sobering picture in John 12, can we talk about the temptation? What's the temptation of this week as we think about those two passages? Well, what I see in Isaiah 43 is this temptation to cling to the past rather than, be, than being open to the new, which I'm not sure I expected to, th to see that in this season, but there it is, yeah. you know, the temptation to cling to the past rather than, than look forward, along with the temptation to just be stingy yeah. with ourselves rather than loving extravagantly. So for us as leaders, there's probably a lot about the last couple of years that we would like to let go of. Um, and I wonder if this week, you know, I wonder if this week can be spent a little bit with that question with God. What, you know, now it seems like we're moving out of this wilderness that we've been in for the last over two years. Yep. Seems like we may be moving out of it, that God is making a path, making a way out of this wilderness. Is there anything that I need to let go of, let die, bury? in order to be open to the new. What do you think, Steve? I know that, you know, you're, mm -hmm. you know, you've been serving faithfully as a pastor through this season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a real, that's a real question to sit with. I am going to answer. Uh, I have a couple of answers for myself, but I also want to be very careful that there are some probably universal answers for leaders right now. And I'll probably touch on some of those, but there might be some very personal ones that you need to sit with. And so please, I hope you take the time to do that. But I got a text from one of my pastor friends this Sunday afternoon. And he said, you guys, it was the to a, there's a group of four of us that are on this text chain and we, we talk a lot back and forth. And he said, I got to hold two babies today <laughs> at church. You know, I got to hold two babies today at church. And the hard part about these last couple of years has been the, you know, the strict isolation, the months online. And, but then there's like the, Oh, this is what it's about. Mm -hmm. You know, as pastors, I actually got to do an infant baptism today. So I, mm -hmm. or uh, Sunday and I just, Oh, I just felt like, God, this is it, mm. you know? And I looked out on my congregation and like, it was like the people, Ruth, that had come for the baptism, you know, there's always a big group of people that come, I think was more than <laughs> the rest of the congregation, you know? And mm. so some of what I need to let go of is this idea that we're, you know, when we get back to a more robust attendance or, That'll mean that we're back to where we need to be. I just, I don't know what the future of that is, mm -hmm. but I know it's not going to be just getting back to what it was. And that's a real letting go. I don't care who you are as a pastor. That's an ego thing that we, we just, it's so hard to look out at our dwindling crowds and think mm -hmm. it's anything other than just dying. And maybe it is, you know, and I don't want to proclaim that, but maybe something is. Um, 
my thing is I have to, I just have to graciously let go of what was in terms of attendance, in terms of people that have left. Mm -hmm. Every pastor I've talked to and, you know, has lost people in this pandemic, people that just stopped going to church, people that have chosen to go to a different church because they've had different mask mandates or different, you know, whatever. And those things are just very, very painful. And so those are just a couple of, I think, universal things that most leaders that I'm talking to are going through. And if you're going through that as a leader, you just need to know you're in such good company. I mean, we're all struggling through that without Mm -hmm. much idea how we're going to get through it. <laughs> yeah. Just have your, I hope you have a, a couple of people that you can text, you know, on a hard day. A or on a good pastors. day when you've gotten to hold babies. Yeah. Right. Oh, it was so yeah, sweet. Celebrate that. Yeah. Well, we had a moment last week as a staff where, you know, we've not, you know, we pray together, we do midday prayer together and we have, you know, at times done it virtually. I mean, we've, done it all sorts of different ways to try to feel safe on any given day. And this was just last week. And at some point, you know, we were so used to passing the peace and actually getting to hug each other during the passing of the peace. And so because we knew that the mask mandate was going to be lifted in, in Illinois, somebody just asked the question at the passing of the peace, when are we going to get to start hugging each other again? And our new executive director, Cole Griffin, made an executive decision and said, how about today? Yeah. <laughs> and the whole, pl- you know, all of us just were, it was an uproar. It was like an uproar. And we all, it was a pandemonium of hugging. Yes. And yes. it just felt like a new day. And what I realized is, yeah, you know, you could still sit here and be concerned about getting something, but you know what? That's going to go. I, I mean, I just need to, I just need to put that in the past right now. And we might come into another season at some point, but to get to the point where we just said, you know what, today we're going to give each other a hug at the passing of the peace the first time in two years. It just felt good. It felt like we were letting go of something old, which was all the fear that we've lived in and all the constraints which was all worth it because it looks like we're emerging, but then we're going to take hold of, of what's new. And what happens in the process is that things that used to just feel so routine are now actually extremely precious, like holding babies and baptisms and with that actually involve being with somebody and, uh, you know, hugging during the passing of the peace that things that used to just feel so routine and normal may now forever for us feel fresh and new and even like a privilege to get to, you know, be with each other in these more open ways. So I don't know. That's, that's my story. And it, it feels good to You're be letting to go. It. Yeah, I am to letting go of some of the hard stuff and opening up to what's new and next. I love that story. <laughs> the exuberantness <laughs> of that, the pent up and the pent up demand for hugs, you know, everybody had years. a better afternoon after yeah. that, you know, cause human yeah. beings oh, get yeah. a lot of energy from, you know, being together like that. Um, I do think that there is this really interesting question, though, of how do you know what to put behind you in order to receive the new thing? Like, I wonder about that sometimes. I'm, and I don't know how we knew it. We just knew it. But I wonder if there are some other markers for knowing what we need to put behind us in order to receive the new. And actually, how do we put them behind? How do we kind of mark it and move on into whatever the new thing is. And I just love the word perceive. The, the word perceive is not used very often in scripture. This may be the only time, certainly in the Old Testament, I'm about to do a new thing. Do you not perceive it? How do we perceive the new thing that God is doing and lean into it? How does that work, practically speaking? What a question. 
our church has a value called attentiveness. It's one of our seven core values. And really what we mean by that is we will remain awake and alert to the possibility that God is always at work, always doing something new, and usually in small ways. And so I think it does start with a kind of posture, you know, even in the darkest of times, can I put my antenna up and be attentive to the work, the good work that's happening beneath the surface, just below the surface, you know, within each other. And, um, you know, that that's starts with a, a, a posture of being willing to to see beyond the constraints, you know, beyond the masks to what is about to emerge. I think of a spring day when you start to look for the buds and then you see your first bud and we're not there yet here in Minnesota. Oh my gosh, we're a long you know, way I remember flying <laughs> into a snowstorm in April in Minnesota, just so you know. I've been, I have been scarred by that. So you might not be seeing spring for two months. In July <laughs> when we see those buds, no. <laughs> But I, but I think it part of it is that I mean I know you know how do you cultivate attentiveness but I think that just just staying awake you know a posture of wakefulness um, is helpful I you have a little phrase that I can I can dance with for a little bit but I want to know what you have to say about it but it's divine forgetfulness divine forgetfulness there's a there's some things you need to put behind you that you almost need a grace to just say, like, I love your story is kind of an example of that. Just we're done. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and it wasn't irresponsible. It was, you know, the day before the mass mania mm -hmm. was lifted. That's so right. it's not, it's not mm -hmm. about, you know, just being right. weird. I have just really recently, I was feeling a lot of shame about something that I had done. And it was a pretty small thing, to be honest. So I don't want to, um, Anyway, it was a pretty small thing, and my wife noticed that I was feeling it, and she said, are you okay? And I go, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm okay. You know, typical lame Enneagram 3 response. I'm fine. I'm fine. And the next morning, she goes, are you? Really? Are you okay? And I go, yeah, I'm just feeling shame about what I, that I kind of snapped at her and the kids the night before, and she goes, oh, that feels like shame. How about you just... How about you move on? How about mm. you step into today? How about you live today? And, and you know, that's not you. That's not who you are. So just move on. And so for me, that was a, a case of divine forgetfulness. And, and I needed someone to tell me. Like, I couldn't introspect my way into that one. I needed someone that I love, that loves me, to say, you can move on. You know, so... Um, what, what do you say about divine forgetfulness, Ruth? What's maybe you've already said it all. But. <laughs> well, I will say I will say that the older I get, I do try to distinguish between divine forgetfulness and just the forgetfulness that comes from the aging process. Just, you know, just saying that there might be a difference there and wanted to mention that. I'm so um, with you. Yeah. <laughs> You know, there is a name in Christian tradition for this, and it is it is the cloud of forgetting. Like, there's the cloud of unknowing, and there's the cloud of forgetting. And there is a sense that the ability to forget certain things that, that need to be forgotten, like God forgets, you know? God forgets our sins and puts them, you know, somewhere else where he's no longer keeping score like that. So there is a kind of forgetfulness that can be a spiritual grace because we can maybe stop being burdened and um, overshadowed by memories that aren't helpful at all. 
You know, I do want to talk about, though, the difference between divine forgetfulness and forgetting things too soon or or also things that we ought not to forget, because if we forget, then we will repeat them. You know how people have said, historians have said, you know, if you don't understand your history, you're doomed to repeat your history. Right, right. So that's not what I'm talking about. But I think we need to be pretty clear because I think that certain groups of people, certain personality types could actually use the idea of divine forgetfulness as license to put things behind us too quickly, to put things behind us before we've really plumbed the depths of what they mean and what needs to be learned from them. It can be even a kind of denial. So that's not what we're talking about. So what would you say to that, Steve, in terms of a difference between divine forgetfulness and, and you know, avoidance or just, you know, wanting to put hard things behind us so we can move on? Ruth, I am so glad you brought that up because the last thing that we want to do is give license to behaviors that are going to be quickly swept under the rug in the guise of forgetfulness, just moving on, forget the former things. Mm -hmm. And it's a callback to the last episode. We talked a lot about confession and repentance. And I think the divine forgetfulness we're talking about here is after genuine confession has been made, after genuine repentance has been made, I can still have the tendency to, to, as I've shared in my the story I just shared to feel shame about what I just did to, 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 to carry that shame. And so forgetfulness in this sense, divine forgetfulness is saying when you've done the hard work of confession, when you've named it out loud to God, to the other person, to yourself, when you've made every effort that you have the ability to make, to repent and turn around, you don't need to carry that shame anymore. That, that has been made new. See, do you perceive it? I'm doing a new thing. That's very different than, for example, a leader who quickly swept, swept something under the rug, a church mm-hmm. maybe who's really hasn't dealt with the pain that a leader has caused or a system has caused, and then to use this verse maybe, Isaiah 43, as a way to encourage their congregation to move through something that they haven't even faced yet. Yeah. Woo, that's not divine forgetfulness. That's something that, that, you know, hopefully wise people would say, we need to stop and we need to get back on the page of, we skipped a step, we skipped confession, we skipped repentance, we have to go back. Right. And of course, right now in the middle of the racial reckoning that we're in the middle of, I think one of the complaints and rightly so is that white people would just like to forget our history and our legacy of racism and racial violence and racial inequity in our country. And there's this desire to just get on with it and to not have to really face the pain, you know, and the specific pains and the particular losses that the black community or the Native American community have experienced here in our country. We don't want to deal with it. So we could use this in a really manipulative way and say, why can't we forget the former things, you know, and just get on with the new thing that God's doing. God is doing a new thing, but there's an appropriate path through versus avoidance. So we need to be really careful to say that divine forgetfulness is not the same thing as avoiding hard truth. Another thing, this is very interesting in our epistle reading, Philippians 3, 4 through 14. This is where Paul is talking about putting some things behind him and pressing on towards the goal. And he's actually talking about forgetting his former accomplishments. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's, you know, saying, I'm going to put those behind me, even though I have so many. And, of course, he lists them, and I don't know quite what to think about that. He wants to make sure we know them before he releases them, you know, into our forgetfulness. <laughs> um, but he says, whatever gains I, I had, these I've come to regard as loss in favor of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. But then, you know, he has this great language, this thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. So there's the same language, isn't there? This divine letting go, this divine forgetting what lies behind. But he has in his mind his accomplishments, you know. He's going to forget how great he used to be. He was going to forget his accomplishments and move into a more humble place of pressing on towards the goal of knowing Christ, which will always be a um, a more humble thing than always touting our own accomplishments. So there's an interesting wrinkle. There's an interesting layer that the epistle reading, I think, layers into this conversation. Well, I'm glad you brought helpful. that up because it's not just your fault. You know, this is, he's saying my pedigree, my, yeah. my hard work. My... Yeah, I'm not going to identify like I used to with that. I'm not going to over identify with my accomplishments and things like that because I want to go towards something more real than that, which is this intimate knowing of Jesus and pressing on. And that's a new thing too, isn't it? That's a new thing to be able to say, I'm no longer going to identify myself in terms of my straight A's, in terms of my titles, in terms of my uh, accomplishments. And that's, you know, good for you. You did all those things. Yay. Mm -hmm. It's not bad to feel good about those things, but there is something fundamentally deeper and better and truer about a relationship that you could be hidden with Christ in God. Um, that's the new thing, you know, in that, that I think we're, we're hinting at, we're getting at, that it's not so ego-based. Right, right. Well, I'm aware that maybe the question people are sitting with right now as we bring this episode to a close is how do I know, you know, what I'm supposed to be letting go of versus what am I supposed to be receiving? And I am wondering if we could suggest a journaling exercise right here. And maybe you could put at the top of the page these, the, you know, the verse from Isaiah 43, see, I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Do not remember the former things. And to actually write those verses out in your journal and say, God, what I, what I sense you inviting me to let go of is, you know, and then just see what happens, see what your body writes down. And what I feel you inviting me to lean into is, or what I feel you inviting me to receive is. And then even a third question, what would it take for me to really let go? Is there, is, what would I need to see happen? What would I need to, to know in order to have this affirmed for my life? But I, I think we may know things in our bodies that it would be helpful for us to write because writing is an in-the-body experience and the body can say some things that we might not know yet at the level of consciousness. So I think this would be a really, really appropriate moment to interact with those phrases from Isaiah 43 in our journals and saying, you know, God, the old former things I'm inviting, you're inviting me to let go of. I'm going to jot those down. What would it take in order for me to really let go? And then what are you inviting me to receive or to lean into that's fresh and new? I like that. And in my experience of journaling, sometimes I need to just give myself freedom to list everything I can think of, you know, mm -hmm. yes. and then and then say, oh, OK, well, then you start crying. Well, that's not really. Oh, that's really it. You know, so rather than trying to get the answer of what one thing I need to let go of first, 
you just list, list everything and then trust that God will meet you in that. And then I think in addition to that, Ruth, I would add, there is also, just like I shared in my story about when my wife helped me to say, you know, you can let that go. Yeah. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes you need to take what you've experienced in your journal and bring it to someone else and say, this is what I think I need to let go of. How does that land on you? Mm -hmm. You know me, you've experienced me, you've walked with me. Do you think I'm on the right track? And, and then listen and be open to some feedback and be open to getting the freedom to, yeah, actually name that. Yep, that does sound like something you need to let go of. And I think sometimes we just can't do this kind of thing alone. We, we can't see what we can't yeah. see and we don't know what we don't know. We just mm -hmm. need someone else to help us. And sometimes a spiritual director or even a therapist could have an idea about a ritual that we could bring to a letting go, whether it's a, a very intimate and private letting go or whether it's something that we do communally, if the community is letting go of some things in order to move forward, uh, to honor those things for the value that they had when they were working and when they were the right thing, but then to have some ritual of letting go in order to receive. And it's always letting go in order to receive, you know? Yeah. And there might be a little bit of time where we've let go and there's an emptiness because we've let go. Um, but we have to get empty. We have to open our hands in order to receive what the next thing is going to be. We're not going to receive it while we're still holding on to everything we've always held on to, right? Does that make sense? We can't just keep clinging to things and expect to be given the new thing. At some point, we have to let it go in faith and believe that, that God says, see, I am doing a new thing and believe that he really is, you know? Yeah. Oh, so I have a I have a prayer poem from our dear Ted Loader, and this is one I don't think I've ever offered in any setting I've been in, but it is really striking me for the conclusion of this episode. And it's called Help Me to Believe in Beginnings. Isn't that great? Help Me to Believe in Beginnings. So let's take a moment to open our hearts and our hands and receive this prayer and see if even in the reading of this prayer, God might even reveal a sense of what we're being invited to let go of in order to receive what he's giving. Help me to believe in beginnings. God of history and of my heart, so much has happened to me during these whirlwind days. I've known death and birth. I've been brave and scared. I've hurt and I've helped. I've been honest and I've lied. I've destroyed and I've created. I've been with people and I've been lonely. I've been loyal and I've been betrayed. I have decided and I've waffled. I've laughed and I've cried. You know my frail heart and my frayed history. And now another day begins. Oh God, Help me to believe in beginnings and in my beginning again, no matter how often I have failed before. Help me to make beginnings, to begin going out of my weary mind into fresh dreams, daring to make my own bold tracks into the land of now. Help me to believe in beginnings, to make a beginning, to be a beginning, so that I may not just grow old, but grow new. Each day of this wild, amazing life you call me to live with the passion of Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>